Hey there, welcome to the Lord to Death podcast. My name's Brett, and if you can hear birds in the background, I will not apologize. It's a lovely spring day, and I'm happy that it's finally sunny. But today I want to take a trip down memory lane, for myself at least, to the first game that ever properly scared my pants off, Resident Evil. And more specifically, I want to talk about Umbrella, the corporation behind the T-Virus and the Raccoon City incident. Umbrella Corporation has a very interesting and disturbing history that stretches over a wide variety of practices. We know them best as Umbrella Corporation, but they started out as Umbrella Pharmaceutical and eventually transitioned into being Blue Umbrella, which is a private military company. So how do you get from being a company based on medicine to becoming a group of military contractors? The answer, as you might have guessed it, is eugenics. And no, you shouldn't have guessed that answer because how does it make any sense that white supremacy was the answer? Well, buckle up, hunker down, and let me tell you the story of some crazy old racist white dudes who were so hell-bent on creating the perfect race that they accidentally created biohazards and zombies. Umbrella Pharmaceuticals was a company founded in the late 1960s by founders Dr. Oswell E. Spencer, Dr. Edward Ashford, and Dr. James Marcus, along with Marcus's protege, Brandon Bailey. So those names are all very important, and they're going to come up time and time again. And I'm just going to refer to them as their last names, mostly. It just makes things a little bit easier. So Spencer, Ashford, and Marcus were all classmates at their university. And all of them shared a distinct taste for casual racism and virology. All of them had separately dabbled in the eugenics movement, whether personally or by association of those who they worked for or were close to. The true start of the company started with early research of the natural history conspectus from 19th century author Henry Travis. Travis was a researcher from the 19th century, and he had written about his account to Nidipaya of West Africa, whose folklore described a flower which had healing powers. He had spent 35 years of his life exploring Africa while writing his 72-part encyclopedia and had written extensively about the plant known as Stairway of the Sun. Unfortunately, once published, Travis's older brother had spread rumors within the scientific community that Henry's research was inaccurate and took plenty of creative license with their writings, which caused the books to fail. Henry, unfortunately, took his own life not being able to cope with his life's work resulting in failure. And even more unfortunately, it turns out that his brother spread these rumors not because he thought that the books were actually inaccurate, but because he did not wish for anyone to take advantage of the book to exploit the precious resources detailed in his writing. Marcus and Spencer headed out on an expedition with one of their students, Brandon Bailey, as aforementioned, to go find this mysterious flower which they believed would give them great powers to shape the world as they pleased. The three were successful in the end and found the flower deep in an underground garden and a virus that lived inside of it which we will come to know as the progenitor virus that had the ability to repair dead cells. With this discovery, they decided to try to use the virus to create a perfect race of humans. However, the flowers grown within the U.S. failed to cultivate the virus, and so the doctors were at an impasse, needing significant funding to continue this research to create a facility in Africa. Thankfully, Spencer came from a very wealthy family and had quite the inheritance. Spencer used his wealth and influence to form Umbrella Pharmaceuticals and established a base within the Nidipaya Garden so that instead of trying to grow the plant in the U.S., they could have it cultivated at the source directly and transported across the Atlantic to a facility in the States where the virus would be researched. Immense as his wealth was, Spencer's wealth turned out to be insufficient, and they required more funding to be able to live out their eugenics dream. The founders would start research into what we now know as the T-virus, or tyrant virus, which they would sell as a bioweapon to militaries to subsidize their research into the progenitor and eugenics. 
Now, there are two different kinds of bioweapons that we're really going to talk about, but I'm just going to refer to them as bioweapons because it just makes a little bit more sense to me. So there's actual bioweapons, which would be like spreading the virus. And then there are the bioorganic weapons or BOWs, which are things like Tyrant, Nemesis and things that we will see later in the Resident Evil series. But on top of bioweapons, they would have a public face as a regular medicines manufacturer, creating such products as the first aid spray that we see in the games. A miracle spray that can heal almost any wound just by spraying a little on yourself. They also created Adravil, which is basically our real world's Advil. As well as Aquacure, which was a product that targets female fitness recovery. Whatever that means, it was never really explained. And then there was Safsprin, which was our real world aspirin that could cure illnesses like the common cold. Umbrella would contract leading pharmaceutical companies internationally to develop the new medicines for them, which they would use for their bioweapons research. Their main facility was in the Arclay Mountains and was just called the Arclay Facility or Arclay Laboratory. And in the late 1970s, the Arclay Laboratory got their hands on samples of the Ebola virus, to which, publicly facing, Umbrella was supposed to help in finding a cure for Ebola. But much to everyone's surprise, they actually used the research findings to strengthen the Ebola virus to make it better suited as a bioweapon. During this time, the T-virus was expanded considerably thanks to the research led by a Dr. William Birkin, a virologist who discovered the Golgotha virus, or G-virus as we're going to call it, while studying the T-virus. Birkin was a child prodigy who, at the age of 15 in 1977, was employed by Umbrella and offered executive training programs at the Arclay Laboratory, along with a Dr. Albert Wesker. Their training ended when the lab school program closed, and both Birkin and Wesker were offered senior roles at the laboratory and transferred there in 1978. Both of those names are pretty important, and again, I'm going to refer to them as Birkin and Wesker, mostly. So Birkin and Wesker, on their first day as senior researchers, were introduced to a girl named Lisa Trevor who had been a test subject at the lab since 1967. Having survived and mutated from exposure to the progenitor virus, her enhanced abilities made her a very reliable test subject. See, the virus had a rapid and high fatality rate, making it almost useless as a bioweapon since it wouldn't travel very far. It also made it very difficult to test because the subjects were typically a one-and-done deal. You infect them and they die to which Birkin was trying to find a remedy with the G-virus. This new strain, the G-virus, could keep humans alive in an aggressive, brain-damaged state, like a zombie. Now, there's no really great way to segue into this little tidbit, but I think it's very interesting because at this time they were starting to be a little bit more corporate. So at some point around the time of its founding and before Umbrella went corporate in the 80s and 90s, Spencer went to Eastern Europe to study under Mother Miranda from Resident Evil 8. It was there that he came across the Four Houses symbol that was around their manor. The Four Houses represented the four lords of the village who founded the settlement way back when, and in the middle was a crest that consisted of eight triangles coming together at a point, every other one a different color, and this was the symbol that Spencer would adopt as the logo for Umbrella. So, just like most of his work, he kind of just stole it. And as mentioned before, there was a time in the 80s and 90s where Umbrella experienced a shift to being more corporate as their power and reach extended. As comes with power comes great responsibility and a lot of infighting. The founding circle had been warring against itself for quite some time at this point. Ashford was killed in 1968 by his own prototype of the T-virus in an accident that is believed to have been machinated by Spencer. Now, there's no concrete evidence that Spencer did plan to have Ashford killed, but the coming knowledge kind of helps with that fact. 
Marcus had become unpopular with the executive body because of his use of executive trainees as test subjects. And after the incident that led to Ashford's death, Marcus would become quite suspicious that Spencer would attempt to kill him as well and steal his research data. And as I insinuated before, Marcus was correct and Spencer had learned of Marcus's fears and sent in an umbrella security team to eliminate Marcus. Birkin and Wesker were present for the attack and were ordered to hoover up as much of Marcus's research as they could and to dump Marcus and his research into a nearby river, which will come up again and again. These guys need to stop dumping things in rivers. This would have unintended consequences later, as Marcus had been working on an experimental bioweapon known as Queen Leech. Queen Leech was basically just a giant sentient green blob, and when dumped into the river, Queen Leech used Marcus's body as a food source and gained his memories, and as a result, thought of itself as Marcus being revived by some sort of divine intervention. Over the next 10 years or so, it developed the ability to change its physical form to appear as Marcus and plan to avenge its own or Marcus's death. This was the first mention I could find of the Umbrella Security Service, or USS for short, and I think they're worth noting as this is the first time we see Umbrella dabbling into paramilitary services. The USS had been developed as the facilities garnered the need for armed security as they started working on projects for the US military, most notably the bioorganic weapons that, if they broke containment, would need to be put down. The USS were, more or less, just a kill squad that was set up with an umbrella for purposes such as killing rogue test subjects, and were evidently Spencer's personal executioners. So with the other founders, Ashford and Marcus, dead at Spencer's hand, there was only one more name present during its founding, if you remember. Brandon Bailey. Bailey was forcibly kept in Africa to continue studies on the progenitor and run the facility that was to ship samples to the US. Around the time that Marcus died in the late 80s, Bailey had succeeded in determining how to trigger viral production, a huge milestone for the T-Virus project. Unfortunately, finding out that his mentor, Marcus, had died, he sank into a deep depression, but was largely unaware of the circumstances surrounding his death and likely had no idea that Spencer was behind it, even though he could probably deduce that for himself if he thought about it for about six seconds. We'll talk more about this in depth later, but the facility was eventually closed in 1998, and I just want to say this because we're on the topic of Bailey. After the facility was closed in 1998, he joined a rival company in Munich and instead started producing bioweapons for crime syndicates. It's unknown whether he lived or not, as Spencer had issued a kill order for anyone who worked in the facilities in Africa to prevent a security breach, Wesker personally oversaw a worldwide search for any stragglers, so it's possible that he died in the attacks, but we don't really know, and again, we'll get more into that later. It was during this time in corporate expansion in the 80s and 90s that Umbrella developed a chimeric animal that they started issuing out to militaries such as Cerberus, which was basically an attack dog. They were experiencing a period of exponential growth and started to require subsidies to handle international matters. Umbrella USA, based in Chicago, was their headquarters in the U.S., with the Arclay Laboratories being their main facility for bioweapons and research up until the creation of NEST in 1991. NEST was a large subterranean lab in the Arclay Mountains just outside of Raccoon City. That's going to be important coming up. The chief of research was none other than our wunderkind, Dr. William Birkin. With NEST being his lab, the primary research and development was on the G-Virus that he coined. This facility would sort of replace the Arclay Lab, as the Arclay Lab had been around for quite some time, and Umbrella had either outgrown it because of outdated infrastructure or because of space. Likely both. Spencer had put a lot of effort into creating Nest just for the G-Virus, as it was a strain that was capable of repairing dead tissue and could, in theory, 
be used to transform infected people into superhumans that he based his entire life's work on. Outside of the US, there was also Umbrella Europe, formed in the 80s who pioneered the Nemesis Project, which was a plan to create an intelligent parasite since Umbrella USA had failed to produce a strain of the T-virus that didn't cause severe brain damage and loss of intelligence. This project would run parallel to Umbrella USA's Tyrant Project, which was to develop a superhuman. But before the Tyrant, the Nemesis Project was successful and produced a bioorganic weapon that they called the Nemesis T-Type. This was a hulking creature, humanoid in shape, that was a massive muscle and sheer will. This was the creature that would pursue the main character in Resident Evil 3. Aside from Umbrella USA and Europe, there was also Umbrella Japan, which was used mostly for research into biotechnology and machinery as opposed to bioweapons. Because of its location in Japan, Umbrella had also acquired the Paragus Line Company, which was a cruise liner company, which they purchased along with three cruise liners to transport goods from Japan over to other continents. They also had plans to transport cargo via the Antarctic Transport Terminal, which first opened in the 60s to help Ashford with his research, but was solely used as a shipping depot after his death. This brings us further into the 90s in December of 1991 when the Soviet Union collapsed after years of financial strain and inner turmoil. Umbrella was able to take advantage of the situation and establish a laboratory within Russia's North Caucasus beneath an oil refinery, expanding their international operations even further. This allowed Umbrella to expand their paramilitary operations as well, hiring former Soviet soldiers and creating the Umbrella Biohazard Countermeasure Service, or UBCS, which specialized in rescue operations during biohazard outbreaks. The UBCS primarily recruited former soldiers and militia who had been incarcerated, offering them a sort of second chance at life. At their peak, they had four companies, Alpha through Delta, which consisted of around 120 members total. The UBCS was commanded by one Sergei Vladimir, the epitome of what would a Russian be named, who was very important to Umbrella because of his genes, which allowed Umbrella USA to finally mass-produce the Tyrant line by experimenting on clones of Sergei. This was possible because Sergei was one of the small percentage of people that were genetically compatible with the Epsilon strain of the T-virus. During this time, Umbrella also created the Umbrella Intelligence Division, which allowed them to plant a mole in the US military, one of which was Albert Wesker. Wesker, while gathering intel, learned that the U.S. military had planned to make Umbrella redundant with their own bioweapons program. This knowledge only caused Umbrella to double down on the research to try to make themselves indispensable. But during this period, regardless of the impending redundancy, Umbrella's influence was still very strong. After an outbreak at a hospital in 1993 in the Arclay Mountains, which resulted in that hospital being shut down, the police and media were unable to link Umbrella to the incident because they had so much influence. There was one reporter who started to catch wind in the coming years, but was subsequently murdered and dumped in the nearby river, again with the rivers, with no follow-up investigation to link him or Umbrella to the case. In line with their expansion into paramilitary services, Umbrella funded the creation of the Special Tactics and Rescue Service in 1996, otherwise known as STARS, which was basically a SWAT team under the jurisdiction of the Raccoon City Police Department. Raccoon City, if I haven't mentioned this before, was a city that was nearby that was rapidly expanding because Umbrella was employing everyone in that area. And people who came to work for Umbrella USA often moved to Raccoon City. Umbrella contracted something like 80% of Raccoon City's population, and with the city's rapid expansion, the RPD, Raccoon City Police Department, felt it necessary to have a special forces team because of the increase in violent crime and domestic terrorism within Raccoon City. STARS was put under the command of Albert Wesker, 
which was a deliberate action by Umbrella to make sure that the team was kept under the command of someone who they could trust, and so that they could use the team as they pleased since they had someone on the inside, which gave them another paramilitary asset to control. This brings us to the year 1998, where everything started to go downhill for Umbrella with the Raccoon City incident. If you've played the games or watched the movies, you should be familiar with the name and story. This is sort of a ground zero for a mass outbreak and the inevitable decline of Umbrella. This is the part where I say that we're going to give the Sparknotes version of the Raccoon City incident, with the caveat that there's a lot of important details that happen during this period that are integral to Umbrella's history and decline. So there's only so much that I'm going to skim over, and there's a lot of detail here. The trigger incident happened, as mentioned, in 1998 when a bioweapon caused a containment failure at the Arclay Laboratory. This was none other than the Queen Leech itself, which we mentioned earlier, or Marcus Christ Reborn, that had been planning Umbrella's downfall for the last decade. What exactly happened isn't known, but this caused a facility-wide lockdown. Cerberus bioweapons, the bioweapons created for the US military, broke confinement as a result. They escaped the laboratory and started killing several hikers and passersby in the surrounding mountains. Because Cerberus were injected with the T-virus, that spread to those who were killed and wounded in the attacks, who rose up as the first zombies that were so iconic to the Resident Evil series. The outbreak continued silently in the Arclay Mountains where it spread to the Spencer Mansion and the events of Resident Evil 1 take place. Umbrella gave Wesker, the Captain of Stars at this point, an order to take his team to the Arclay Mountains where he could eliminate the outbreak, gather any incriminating material, and ensure that his team was killed by bioweapons in the process as a cover-up. He was supposed to record the team's efficacy against the bioweapons as a means to see how the bioweapons fared in actual combat, and to blow up the facility to eliminate any connection to Umbrella. Instead, he decided to collude with a rival company, fake his death, and have his teammates corroborate his death while escaping with intel after deciding that Umbrella was doomed to fail and to take his chances elsewhere before the company could drag him down. As mentioned before, Wesker was privy to the knowledge that Umbrella was soon to be made redundant by the US government, so he had already jumped ship. At the same time, Wesker's schoolmate, Dr. Birkin, had made the decision to leave Umbrella as well, after repeated failed attempts to get into Spencer's inner circle. Birkin had plans to hand over the T-virus and his own creation, the G-virus, over to the US military authorities and turn himself in. In the weeks leading up to his surrender, he dumped the T-virus into a sewage treatment plant as well as the processing plant for failed experiments as a means to sabotage Umbrella, again with the dumping things into rivers. This resulted in the T-virus slowly making its way to and through Raccoon City. The Raccoon City General Hospital became overrun with what they were calling a cannibal disease, unaware of its true nature and connection to Umbrella. Basically, zombies were everywhere. And to make a very long story short, Birkin released his lab's Hunter R bioweapon, a large, scaled, brutish human reptile breed, into the facility as a means to kill the other research staff and guards to make sure that he and his wife, Annette, were the only ones who knew about the G-Virus. Being confronted by the USS Alpha team, who took most of the remaining samples of the G-Virus, Birkin injected himself with one remaining sample that he kept in his pocket. Birkin turned into a hulking, powerful monster, and with the USS retreating through the sewers, Birkin went on a rampage and killed most, if not all, of Alpha Team and destroyed the G-Virus samples. These samples, having been destroyed in the sewers, exposed the sewer ecology to the virus, leading to rats and cockroaches being infected, making their way into Raccoon City's reservoir and infecting the dam employees causing further infection into Raccoon City. And then there was also the fact that, unbeknownst to them, Umbrella was being infiltrated by a rival company at the same time. 
Ada Wong, an agent in the unnamed rival company in bioweapon research known as The Organization, developed a relationship with the new chief of research, Dr. John Clemens, and gathered information about Umbrella's current projects and operations, including the knowledge of Birkin's G-Virus. So with Wesker, Birkin, and Wong, the downfall of Umbrella was largely due to internal espionage. Birkin was sabotaging his own research and causing the spread of the T-Virus into Raccoon City, Wesker had lost faith in the company entirely and had gone rogue, and Ada was on the inside feeding information to the organization. All of that coupled with the lockdown caused by Queen Leech, Umbrella was in a whole lot of trouble. Umbrella, not really understanding the full consequences of the outbreak and the spread of the T-Virus into the water treatment plants, later became aware of the cannibal disease that was plaguing Raccoon City General Hospital. Suddenly aware that this meant an outbreak of the T-Virus and an imminent end to Umbrella if someone connected the dots and deemed them as responsible, they deployed the UBCS to evacuate citizens with help from the US military. And being the good guys that they always are, Umbrella saw the outbreak as a chance to test even more bioweapons and deployed the Nemesis T-Type into the city to find their remaining STARS members and kill them amongst the chaos so as to tie up any loose ends. This is the events of Resident Evil 2. The UBCS and US foot soldiers ultimately failed to stop the spread of zombies in Raccoon City. Long story short, the UBCS was almost immediately eliminated after deployment, and the US military would eventually pull out from their positions as well, understanding that this was a losing battle. A contingency plan was put into action, and the city was bombed to stop further spread to the rest of the country. Umbrella, the organization, as well as black marketeers and domestic terrorist organizations all got their hands on samples of the G-Virus and managed to destroy or kill any evidence that would link them to the incident, having this look like a big freak accident without any rhyme or reason. Before this incident, the US Congress was already concerned about the amount of power that Umbrella held and was looking to make them redundant. Having worked with the UBCS in Raccoon City, Congress was privy to information about Umbrella that they could no longer sit idly by and wait for Umbrella to just fall off. As well, the combined efforts of the UBCS and US military's failure to contain the progenitor bioweapon threat exposed a very serious issue that since the US government was using these bioweapons, if they ever got out of control, then the US would not be able to stop them without bombing themselves. This caused the US to reconsider the use of bioweapons provided by Umbrella or otherwise. They succeeded in a vote to suspend Umbrella's right to do any business in the country and to federalize their assets, effectively rendering them useless in the U.S. On top of that, the U.S. Department of Defense set up the Anti-Umbrella Pursuit and Investigation Team to basically hunt down any bioweapon remnants, including the Black Marketeers and others who had samples of the G-Virus or other progenitor virus strains. This team was also given jurisdiction which authorized unsolicited operations in other countries to take care of outbreaks, which means that Umbrella's global operations were under attack. Umbrella was headed on a steep decline, and Spencer understood this. Before things could hit absolute rock bottom, Spencer started to shut down their operations, starting with their facility in Africa, as mentioned before, which was manned by Brandon Bailey. Spencer shut it down as a means to stop the progenitor virus from being discovered, and Spencer went full Pinkerton and had the facility's entire staff assassinated. In the following month through December, two more of Umbrella's facilities would fall. Sheena Island, a coastal island in Europe, fell to an outbreak and the facility was destroyed by a resulting explosion. Rockford Island, a paramilitary training facility in the South Pacific Ocean, was wiped out by the organization's own paramilitary group along with bioweapons created with the help of Wesker's stolen data. 
Over the next few years, Umbrella would lose many of their employees, and the ones who stayed started to go rogue by leaking information and samples, feeding bioweapons into the black market to be used by domestic terrorist groups who would go on to do things like threaten to fire missiles, which would disperse experimental T and G virus strains all over the US and China, unless paid a handsome ransom. Needless to say, the US government was working in overtime to try to cover up all these incidents caused by Umbrella's research. All the while, Umbrella would engage in a very expensive and years-long lawsuit against the U.S. government to reverse the federalization of their assets and suspension of their operations. Spencer knew that if they lost this case, they would be officially bankrupt and it would be the end of Umbrella as they knew it. Their entire argument was based on the fact that there was insufficient evidence to link Umbrella to the outbreaks and to pin all the blame on the U.S. government and accuse them of covering up their own involvement. This lawsuit was fought from around 1999 to 2003, which we'll come back to in a moment. While Umbrella had its assets seized and operations suspended, they had a chemical plant that was bought in 1998 as a shell company that they used as a secret base of operations. This facility was commanded by probably the only person loyal to Spencer at this point, Sergei Vladimir. The facility was being used to continue research into the Tyrant Project through Talos, the Tyrant Armored Lethal Organic System which was basically a computer system that was grafted to a tyrant in an effort to exert complete control over the beast, because the tyrant needed to be even more terrifying than it already was. It also housed the supercomputer that held all of Umbrella's research data so that in the event of a complete collapse, all of the data was in one place so that it could be recovered efficiently. That couldn't possibly go wrong, right? Wrong. There was yet another outbreak in January of 2003, this one being at their super duper secret base. This attracted the attention of Wesker and his private anti-biohazard service, and he went there to collect any data that he could. The surrounding village was burned down and its inhabitants turned into zombies, and Wesker, with the help of some old colleagues, was able to infiltrate the facility and kill the bioweapons and secure Umbrella's research data for his own nefarious schemes. Having all of Umbrella's research data conveniently in one place, Wesker had everything that he needed to bring Umbrella to their knees. He made a deal with the court and provided excerpts of Umbrella's archives that would link them to the outbreaks and ruin their case. This might be the only good thing that Wesker ever did, and even then he did it so that he could become Spencer 2.0, so it wasn't exactly an act of benevolence, but an act of self-gain. With the case over and Umbrella declared guilty, they had no choice but to file for bankruptcy and close their operations. Their US operations were shut down almost immediately, and the ones in Europe soon followed. Their facilities in Japan lasted about another year before they were eventually liquidated in 2004. Spencer, however, didn't get off easy. American and Russian intelligence services would begin a manhunt for Spencer, seeking to bring him to justice for the crimes that he committed. Spencer would hide successfully for a few years, but was eventually found when he leaked his location to Wesker. See, Spencer was getting old and he was very close to death. He knew that his time was coming, and he figured the best way out was to have a one-on-one -on -one with Wesker, and try to explain and pass off his ideals, and let him in on Project Wesker, which was the culmination of his obsession with eugenics, bringing this episode full circle. Albert Wesker was one of several children who were adopted and raised with a surname Wesker, and carefully guided through life with the best education that money could buy. Eventually, 13 of the candidates were unknowingly injected with the progenitor virus. Since the progenitor virus had a very high mortality rate and very few people could actually sustain it, all of them died except for two, Albert and Alex Wesker, who would take two very different paths in life, although Spencer told Albert that he was the only survivor of this project. Wesker listened to the old man's tales and then promptly killed him, ending Umbrella's legacy once and for all. 
although Wesker would go on to create the Ouroboros Project, which would continue on the legacy of eugenics. The project's intention was to kill everyone in the world who was not compatible with the progenitor virus, leaving only the elite few who were considered the cream of the crop of mankind. But Umbrella died with Spencer, bringing us to the end of this story, which means I get to ask, what did you think? Do you think that if Umbrella didn't put all of their eggs into one basket, or supercomputer in this case, do you think they could have succeeded further? Do you think maybe they would have won that court case? Or maybe in an alternate world, do you think that the progenitor virus could have been used for good to help cure disease instead of, you know, create a race of perfect humans? You can find us online at Lord to Death on your favorite social media or podcast websites. And until next time, if you're considering a career in eugenics, maybe just don't. And uh, I'll talk your ear off next time. See ya.